Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Concentrate with Kieran Sidhu, CEO. <sighs> who are you? Hi, my name is Kieran Sidhu. What's your Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is Kieran Sidhu CEO. That's K I R A N S I D H U C E O. Yes, you're the CEO of Halo Labs. Have you had any progress this week? Uh, a lot of progress this week is in the company. I we announced a large deal in Africa with our s- s- seeming to be very now deep partners. OG DNA genetics um, to utilize their genetics in our large cultivation project, arguably the largest, if not one, definitely one of the largest cultivation projects in the world. How important is it to keep shareholders happy in any company? So um, the term corporation is sort of legally defined, be it in what we call common law, which is the law of the colonies of the United Kingdom, right? Of which America at one point was a colony. And a corporation is owned by its shareholders. The shareholders of a corporation appoint directors, and then the directors appoint officers. So it is the officer's responsibility as directed by the directors who are directed by the shareholders to make sure that they keep the shareholders happy or act in the pos- in the best possible interest of the shareholders of a corporation. And that is a fundamental legal tenant of a corporation. Is there a difference to keeping shareholders pleased in a publicly traded company compared to a privately held company? Legally, or what you would say prima facie, or on its face, there isn't. But using the Latin term de facto, which means not on its face, but commonly, there is a distinct difference between public shareholders and private shareholders. Public shareholders can trade in and out of a stock, provided that stock is liquid, So the communications you have when you're dealing with public shareholders are a lot more constant. And the cadence of reporting publicly is quarterly in most jurisdictions, but in some jurisdictions like the UK, it can be semi-annually, especially for smaller companies. Whereas when you're in a private company, on a de facto basis, your communications and your to your shareholders tend to be a lot less frequent, sometimes only annually. How do you find time for shareholders and is it part of your daily schedule? So I I personally always try to make time for shareholders. And if shareholders wanna interact with me, I interact with them. And there are many shareholders 
um, that interact with me and they interact with me in so many different ways. Some of them do it through email. Some of them actually call me. Others text message me. Others WhatsApp me. People get me on Facebook. People get me on Twitter. But I always try to communicate with them because I know, you know, that I serve at the pleasure of the board and the board serves at the pleasure or officially elected by the shareholders. So the shareholders are actually my boss. So for me to not respond to a shareholder is like not responding to a boss. And many times shareholders who I've never met have brought amazing ideas to me, uh, have brought leads of dispensaries to me, leads of cultivations to me. So I always keep an open channel. Now, in terms of frequency of speaking to shareholders, um, what I tend to do is if I have the time right when they write to me, I quickly respond to them. If I don't, I put it in my overall management queue and I try to get back to shareholders. Doesn't matter if I'm on vacation, doesn't matter if it's a weekend. I try to get back to them within 48 hours. Is that a different kind of pressure that some might not realize exists for a CEO? That's a very interesting question. A good CEO that has a good fundamental understanding of shareholders knows that this is a tenant. It's, it's a requirement to communicate with your shareholders. The one thing you must be very careful about that I often say to shareholders is check the public information because we're a public company. And I really cannot answer that question because I have not answered it publicly. So the one thing you have to be very careful with, with shareholders, with tweeting, with communication, is what's known as selective disclosure. So I'm very cognizant of selective disclosure and not to get caught in that pitfall. And to be honest, it requires a significant amount of training and it requires experience to understand when things are selective and when they're not. Social media, as we see, gives great access to you as well. Are you having fun again with Twitter and the shareholders that reach out to you there? I definitely am having fun with it. I enjoy the broadcast capability of it. But again, you got to be careful on how you disclose things and what you disclose. Uh, and you need to make sure that, you know, that if we disclose something on Twitter, that there is a official public communique behind it, meaning that that there's certain things like, for instance, if I said I'm acquiring a company called Reefer Madness and I said it on Twitter, but I hadn't done a proper disclosure under Canadian securities law, that would be selective. So again, you have to be careful on what you say and when you say it. On Twitter, your shareholders have pointed out that they want to know more about the DNA, genetics, and Bofilo news uh, in Lesotho, which is great news. Can you share with us some planned strategies on how Halo Labs is going to monetize this fantastic news and help grow the share price? So as we sort of like focused on this, as we have disclosed in our press release and filed on CDAR, 
which to you Americans is the equivalent of Edgar in the United States. What we believe is that having DNA product, hopefully by Q3 to Q4 of this year, uh, ready for sale into Europe, will allow us to provide high quality product with high levels of THC and if required CBD and excellent terpene profiles of strains that are very prominent and very popular in Europe at affordable prices. So that is how we plan to monetize it. We plan to have good pricing, but significant enough pricing to enable a larger margin for us by distributing DNA product, which is already known in Germany, it's already known in the UK, it's already known in Holland, in Europe from Lesotho. Brad Bird on Twitter wonders, DNA genetics exclusivity to Halo in Lesotho means that companies like Spectrum Cannabis, a subsidiary of Canopy Growth in Lesotho, won't have the rights to use DNA strains brands there. Canopy and DNA have a strong partnership. Brad found that interesting. Why is that interesting? So Canopy is a company that is based in Canada. It was a company that was founded by a gentleman by the name of Bruce Linton, who is a patriarch of this industry. Um, Bruce left Canopy recently, and Bruce is a big supporter financially, I believe, of OG DNA um, genetics. And I think Bruce I, uh, probably has a lot of shares in Canopy as well. And I, and I would think, and I don't know how DNA, Darren and Aaron, who are the DNA, go about thinking through this with Rez, um, uh, who's their head of business development. But I, when I look at the amount of effort we're putting in Lesotho and our view of Lesotho, it tends to align with DNA more than I believe what Canopy is doing in Lesotho. Canopy is much more Canadian-centric at this point, and with us, our sort of out-of-America philosophy, meaning America being sort of this strange island in the cannabis world with a federal illegality and you know legal states and some states that are illegal, outside of that, Canopy is based in Canada, and they have a license in Canada, and they grow in Canada. But in Lesotho, we have based our international efforts there, and we are very strong there. And I would argue we're as strong, if not stronger, than Canopy. So I think when the DNA brass went through that whole deliberation, they realized that for Lesotho and for Africa, primarily, we are their best partner. Michael on Twitter writes, to go from a chicken coop to a soon-to-be largest importer of medical cannabis to the UK and Israel would require growth. Again, this is in Michael's words on Twitter. I think, being Michael, the Halo team is working harder than anyone out there. Seems to be true based on what you just said. I don't know if the Halo team is work at working harder than anyone else, because with all due respect, I'm around CEOs all the time that are have a tenacious work ethic. 
Nick Vita at Columbia Care. He has a tenacious work ethic. You can call him almost any time or of day and night and he'll pick up the phone. Uh, what I can say, honestly, is that we're working as hard as we possibly can to the point where if we worked any harder, the law of diminishing returns would kick in. So we're working tenaciously and hard, whether we're working harder than someone like Nick Vita, I don't think so. I think we probably work almost as hard, but we're working as hard as we can, and we are absolutely driven, again, going back to the earlier questions, to maximize shareholder value because that is our fiduciary duty. And at the end of the day, it's the shareholders that write our paycheck. On the contrary, some on Twitter are tough. Z writes, those that believed in Kieran and Halo for longer than the last couple of months are getting hurt by this continual dilution. Struggling to believe I'll ever get back into green with the rate you keep diluting to existing shareholders. Come on, man. So I actually know him um, and he's come to shareholder meetings and he's a very insightful guy. And what I tell everyone is dilution is, is, one, is one side of a coin, like hot and cold, heaven and hell. The other side of that coin is called accretion. And when we look at doing something, we look at actually acquiring something, we are looking at when it turns accretive meaning when does it contribute to positive EPS, earnings per share? So in order to grow, you need to acquire. In order to acquire in this market, you need to issue shares. So when we look at things, we don't look at the glass being half empty. We look at trying to figure out how we make that glass that we've acquired full so we are accretive, not dilutive. What's the strangest email you've ever received from a shareholder? Thinking about it, there are a couple of shareholders that, for instance, write to me about how they can, you know, get dab tabs to go ahead and start their own cottage businesses. Um, you know, a lot of some, you know, some people have offered their IT services to us. Other people have offered how to help us with our emails. You know, we get, I mean, we get emails weekly, of, you know, shareholders actually trying to be helpful. So it's not really strange, but typically it's a little off the wall because not a lot of companies, I believe, have this sort of relationship with their shareholders where their shareholders feel free to almost write anything to us. And so even though things may be off the wall, I enjoy hearing from shareholders. And I enjoy, if I don't know the answer, taking that shareholder to the person who perhaps knows the answer in the company and help, helping them to get the answers they deserve. Again, because the basic tenant is that a shareholder is an owner and we work for the owners. Do you mix business and pleasure? All the time, all the time. Because business to me is a form of pleasure. 
So, you know, this weekend, for instance, you know, on Friday, uh, which was sort of, you know, I think the day, the 2nd of January, you know, I was up in Vancouver meeting with very large shareholders, right? And we, you know, broke bread together and we met, uh, you know, at, at one of our large shareholders' homes. We talked about what our plans are for getting, promoting the stock, getting stock awareness, particularly in America. Um, and we, you know, broke bread over it. So it was half social and it was half business and it was on a quasi business day. I do that constantly. I am constantly, you know, be it entertaining or being entertained by um, by shareholders, by investors, by partners. And, and what also that does is it creates, it's very important to have those relationships because it gives it gives each person a more deeper sense of the other person, which enables better communication and better productivity. Do you think people invest in you after intentions are purely just pleasurable? Well, marijuana is a recreational drug. So marijuana is supposed to be pleasurable. It's also medicinal but it's also pleasurable. So I hope that people go and try our products. They find them, you know, the big mantra of Halo has always been great products at affordable prices. And I hope they find that to be the case. And I hope that leads them to invest in the stock. And I hope it's pleasurable for them. Do you take compliments well? I, th I believe I take compliments as well as I take criticism. So, you know, I, I, enjoy compliments and it keeps me motivated intrinsically but i also want to hear the criticism so when d criticizes you know the dilution that he feels he's suffering i want to hear about it because i respect him i've met him he's come to our annual meetings so when he says things that are critical i need to have a good response for it can you be offended no no I can't be offended. Even if people say it on a personal basis, it's really hard to offend me. It, it just really is. Because I feel in every criticism, even if it's personal, it's vindictive, there's always a grain of truth. And that's something that's really important for people to understand, that someone can go on a tirade against you, but you still can't block it out. In that tirade, you got to find the grains of truth. Do you meet people who are offended that you know so much about cannabis? You you get into these sort of um, what I call stoner, he said, she said stuff all the time in cannabis, right? Um, and because there's a lot of folklore in cannabis. And, uh, and uh, sometimes people do get offended, but sometimes I'm wrong too. Because some of these guys, you know, who, for instance, make rosinate and bubble hash are far superior in their techniques to our techniques, right? Because they've been doing it for so long. And, uh, yeah, they sometimes get offended. And, and, you know, I'd say half the time they get offended, they're probably right getting offended because some of these artisans are better than us at what they do.
Obviously, they charge a lot more than us for what they do when they're better than us. But there are many people out there, many artesians, 710 labs in California, artesian, PDX Rosin Company in Oregon, artesian. And that's something that's sort of strange about Canada right now. We're not finding a lot of artists in Canada right now. We're finding a lot of big LPs. The only company I think that was starting to get a little artesian in Canada was Supreme. But then their artist, the guy, the artist in the company, Fowler, John Fowler, he left. So where he goes will be interesting. But in Canada, I find less, less artists or less artesians who get offended as I do in America. Have you been in a situation away from work recently where someone tried cannabis for the first time? I cannot remember a time that I have been with someone <laughs> who tried cannabis for the first time. <laughs> um, because most of the people that I have seen are cannabis users. So be it my parents, be it my aunt, be it, you know, my auto mechanic. I, I just I just see there sort of what I still see is this sort of Boolean divide where there are people who have used or use cannabis and then people who've never used it. And what I find shocking is, is people who've never used cannabis who run cannabis companies. That to me is really surprising. What are typically people's experiences with cannabis that you're around? You know, I would say that the, the one thing about cannabis that I've known, and again, this is folklore, is that if you take too much cannabis, or if you're not acclimated to it, it can give you great anxiety to the point of paranoia. So what I always caution people to do with cannabis is inhale, <laughs> wait before you inhale again. And the place where it's most dangerous in terms of this sort of paranoia, this I gotta go to this hospital, I'm dying, is around edibles. Because with edibles, even with nanotechnology now coming into play, there's at least a 10 minute delay. So people will eat an edible, and depending on what's in their stomach, you know, different factors, they'll have different impact. So, yeah, I would say that where it's really sort of dangerous in terms of what I call varied experience is in oral indigestion and where it's a much more reliable experience with instant feedback is inhalation. How important is it for Halo Labs to get the educational aspect of cannabis out there to get the message out that it can be pleasurable? It's, it's very, very important because we, in the United States, we all have a recreational emphasis. And it's good to see companies that had a medical emphasis becoming more recreational in their thought processes. For instance, I just mentioned Columbia Care. I'm starting to see them, you know, talking about Illinois and their sales there. I'm talking about their product mix to start looking at the recreational side. Because what I'm beginning to see is the medical side is becoming more of a byproduct of the recreational side. 
what that means is that is that there's that the products that can be used recreationally can also be used medically but there's a larger market growing recreationally than there is medically the recreational medical angle is there any other commodity or product that falls in somewhere in the limbo of both those categories? What we're starting to see now, and I call it entering the roaring 20s, because remember, 1933 was when prohibition of alcohol ended. The 20s, alcohol was illegal. What I'm starting to see now is the era of psychedelics. And psychedelics that were used, be it psilocybin, be it MMDA, which I hear is getting FDA approval, be it ketamine, which has FDA approval, be it LSD itself that my mother worked with in Air Force studies in the 1960s, I am starting to see more and more use recreationally, occupationally, and medically of psychedelic drugs that were illegal. And that is really the new frontier. It is completely separate and completely distinct from cannabis because of the modalities that those drugs treat. But what I'm amazed to see is the FDA approving ketamine for therapeutic use I'm hearing and seeing posts of MMDA, which is a club drug starting to be used for medical use. And we're seeing on 60 Minutes, neurobiologists from John Hopkins saying people who are terminally ill or near end of death are using psilocybin to permanently alter their brain waves for them to be able to better accept their own death. This is, I think, something that is a trend that is growing, and we'll hear more of it throughout this decade. Well, we look forward to hearing more of you throughout this new decade as well in the Kieran Sidhu CEO Concentrate podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.